Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. As we continue our series in John called Raid the Darkness, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, The Great Bridge. Join us in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Well, I'm glad to see you here this morning. I want you to take your Bible out and turn to the Gospel of John. As we're um, making our way now through just the first chapter of John's Gospel, we've gotten through pretty much the prologue, and now um, some very important things are going to unfold. And so the Gospel author, John, he, he introduces us, and we've already Um, been introduced a little bit to John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. But uh, today, I think it's going to be really important to listen to John the Baptist's testimony in this message. He has a lot to say because I think there's a lot at stake. I'm just going to point out one verse and then we're going to read through the whole thing, but just one verse, verse 33. He said, I did not recognize, and this is John the Baptist, I did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist is basically saying here, my testimony about Jesus, it doesn't come from what I know about him naturally. It comes from God. God told me, what to say about Jesus. Now, somebody says something like that, I'm going to pay attention, in particular when it comes right out of the scripture. So let's read. We're going to start at verse 19. Let's just read here a little bit. And then we're going to look at John's testimony, the things that he has to say. And I think they're, um, I think they're really important today. We're going to start in verse 19. It says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed he did not deny, but confessed. I'm not the Christ. So they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, he answered, no. Then they said to him, Who are you? Tell us so that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? In verse 23, John said, I'm the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. And we we read that right out of Isaiah, right? He said, "That's, that's who I am. As the prophet Isaiah said, that he had been sent from the Pharisees. That's just a little commentary that John puts in there. These guys were from the Pharisees, right? And we know about them a little bit. So they asked John, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not recognize, who's coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. These things happened in Bethany across the Jordan River where John was baptizing. 
Verse 29, on the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if I were you, I would underline that. That's really key to today's message. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one about whom I said, after me comes a man who's greater than I am because he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he could be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. And I did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one whom you see, the Spirit descending on and remaining, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have both seen and testified that this man is the chosen one of God. Now, while there's a lot going on there, definitely, and we're going to look at all that, all right, but I, I want you to keep in mind that in particular, we titled this series, you know, Raid the Darkness. Why? Because there's a lot of darkness in our world and a lot of darkness in people's hearts. And there's, I think, really important keys to experience exposing um, the darkness with light, all right? And we've talked about this a little, but today, let's look at this guy's life a little bit and the things that he has to say in his testimony again. John the Baptist appears at the beginning of John's gospel and the other gospels. He's at the beginning for a reason, and then he falls to the background because he's a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, He's a, a link or a key or um, a bridge, I think, is, the, is one of the best ways to describe it. So that's why reading your Bible and, and reading the Old Testament reveals all kinds of things in the New Testament. In particular, John, I think, helps with this. He's featured at the beginning of the gospel because he's part of the core of the gospel, the good news. The origins of Jesus go back to eternity we found that in John 1, 1, right? And his origins go back to the Old Testament. So over and over, I think we're going to see in this gospel that John, the gospel writer, explains Jesus in terms of the Old Testament. The Old Testament being very important. So Jesus doesn't appear on the scene of history without historical preparation. God had been at work in Israel for 2,000 years, even before that, putting in place a historical backdrop that would make Jesus' life and ministry more intelligible. That's why history is important to know and understand. Our culture, it seems like we have these surges where we want to get rid of history that we don't like. And it's, it's so crazy because history is really important to understanding the, the present and the future, I think. In particular here, this is what God is doing. It's pretty amazing. John the Baptist has origins in the Old Testament. And now those origins are exposed in the New Testament. So he has a foot in both worlds, a prophet, something like Elijah, but, but not Elijah reincarnate. And a voice crying that the long-expected Messiah has come. 
So my first point, is, I'm, I'm just titling it three testimonies. There's really three testimonies that we want to understand that we want to pay attention to. One of the purposes of John the Baptist's ministry is to make sure he's not confused with Jesus. He doesn't want anybody getting that confused. And to make sure that Jesus is seen as unbelievably amazing. He wants that to be clear. John, he gets a running start in verses 6 through 8. We went through that. And verse 15. But now in verse 19 and following, he launches with three amazing testimonies that we're going to look at today. Three important testimonies. Your testimony, we said last week, is important. Your introductions are important. Your story is your testimony. It's really important. And so the, the message today is to help us understand lots of things that we get our story straight and that we can testify clearly and explain Jesus. So here's the first testimony. I'm just going to title it, Jesus is Yahweh. He says first in verse 23, go down to verse 23 in the text. Here's what he says. John said, I'm the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, we read, or I read during uh, the Lord's Supper, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 4. And I'm going to read it again and connect verse 5 to it. Let's read it again. It says, a voice cries out in the wilderness, clear a way for the Lord, construct in the desert a road for our God. Every valley must be elevated, every mountain and hill leveled. The rough terrain will be become a level plain, the rugged landscape a wide valley. The splendor of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it at the same time for the Lord has decreed it. Now this is, he's saying something's coming. Someone's coming. In other words, in Isaiah, right? The Lord refers to Yahweh, Jehovah, the God who is the creator and ruler of the world and the covenant promised God of Israel, right? Now, here is John the Baptist saying that he is that voice that cries out in the wilderness. And the Lord, he is clearing the way for is Jesus Christ. Now, someone says that, I'm telling you, to you, you're going to go, what? That's going to wake you up. That's going to shock you. That's going to stun you, actually. That's his first testimony in these verses. The man coming after me is more than anybody ever dreamed of. He's the God of the Old Testament, and now he is man as well as God. There's so much there that is shocking to people, but it's so important to know and understand. He is Yahweh, Jehovah God. Jesus is Yahweh. Now, Let's keep going because uh, this, his second t- testimony, I'm just going to describe it like this. Jesus is matchless. I was looking for a word that, is, that articulates things. And I feel like the best one I could come up with is just matchless, unmatched. When they ask John the Baptist why he is baptizing, he answers in verse 26 and 27. Listen to what he says. John answers him, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not recognize who's coming after me. 
I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. I mean, his shoes. I'm not even worthy to untie those things. Because why? He is matchless, unmatched. Nothing is like him. Nothing. You can't find it. He's unmatched. Well, they ask, you know, why, why are you baptizing? He says simply, the one I'm clearing the way for is so matchless. Can't, I mean, I'm not untying his shoes. I mean, as low as that is, right? So that's his second Tony t- testimony. My baptizing is not about me. It's about Jesus. He is matchless. Here's his third one. I just said Jesus is greater. It kind of sums it up. John the Baptist says the main thing about Jesus. Uh, why? The, the main thing about why Jesus, the Lord, has, has come to earth, he is, is that he's greater. What do you mean? Look at verse 29 and 30. On the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I said to underline that part there. That's going to be really key. This is the one about whom I said. After me comes a man who's greater than I am because he existed before me. Just in those words right there, there's so much summed up. Verse 30 repeats, actually, verse 15. This one... The one about whom I said, he who comes after me is greater than I am because he existed before me. The point is that John is emphasizing that Jesus is greater. He existed before John. Jesus is from eternity. That's what he's trying to say here. In the beginning was the word. That's right, John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. And the reason for saying it here is that John wants to underline what it takes for Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No ordinary human can be verse 29. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. No ordinary human. It's gonna, this is about an extraordinary human. Everything he has told us is essentially to see Jesus as being the sin-removing Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lord God of Isaiah 40. Jesus is so matchless and infinitely greater than John that John isn't worthy to untie his sandals. Jesus existed before John and is infinitely greater than him. And because of all of this, he can be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here here comes my second point. I'm just going to say, just title it, Behold the Lamb. Verse 29, I ask you to underline that, is the high point of John's testimony. It's the red dot in the middle of the target. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's going to repeat it in verses 35 and 36. Look at that. You can underline it there. Again, the next day John was standing there with two of his disciples, gazing at Jesus as he walked by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. This testimony, it causes the the two disciples of John the Baptist to leave him and become followers of Jesus. That's how profound it is to understand and get your arms around and explain it to anyone. 
That's what John's testimony is actually supposed to do. That's why he's saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He wants people to leave him and follow the Lamb. If you want to do some further study, just check out Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4, kind of the centerpiece of that. But you can go to that later. So the emphasis of John's testimony of Jesus It has this amazing designation and importance right here. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all the other superlatives, all the other adjectives show what it takes for Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John warns us against thinking that any man can take away the sin of the world. Not any man. What Jesus had to do to take away the sin of the world requires that he's more than a man. He was the Lord, the Lord God of Isaiah 40. He was so great that John the Baptist wasn't worthy to untie his sandals, and he existed before John in time. He is matchless. Have you described Jesus like that? Is that included in your story and your testimony? And the way that you talk about and explain Jesus, because that is compelling. Here's the third point. I'm just going to title it the God-man. That's the best way to describe Jesus, the God-man. Watch this. Jesus was able to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because he was the God-man, the word became flesh. Remember, as we're putting this together, that's John 1.14. And now we see the central reason why. Why did the word become flesh? To take away the sin of the world. When John wrote his first letter, 1 John, he put it like this, 1 John 3.5. And you know that Jesus was revealed to take away sins, and in him there's no sin. You know why he was revealed? Take away sin. The reason why John, or the reason why the Son of God appeared, the reason why the Word became flesh was to take away sin. John is testifying to the central reason for the incarnation, God becoming man. And it's all pointing forward now. Now watch this. Why did John add in 1 John 3, 5, why did he add, and in him there was no sin? I mean, he came to take away the sins of the world, right? That's why he was revealed. But why did he add, in him there's no sin? Because the lambs that were offered in sacrifice to take away sin in the Old Testament had to be spotless. They had to be without blemish. Listen to what the law demanded. So, in the Old Testament now, we, we know before Jesus, right, there's a system of sacrifices. In Leviticus chapter 4, just a few verses, listen to what was required of the sacrifice. Starting in verse 32, it says, but if he brings a sheep as his offering, for a sin offering, he must bring a flawless female He must lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it for a sin offering in the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. So dramatic and descriptive, right? 
Then the priest must take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and he must pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. I mean, the image is just unbelievable right here. But every serious believer in God knew that the blood of animals could not really take away sin. I mean, you can find that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. The whole system of sacrifices was pointing forward to what would happen someday in the final sacrifice for sin. And John is saying, it's happening now. It's happening now. God is sending his own lamb into the world to take away sin once and for all. Let's talk about the lamb without sin. Oh, I like Peter and the way he writes. When Peter, who is another eyewitness, by the way, he spent time with Jesus, describes how Christ ransomed us. This is the language he used. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 in just a few verses here, three verses. Look at the language that Peter uses. You know that from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, you were ransomed, right? He's talking to believers in Jesus, right? Not by perishable things like silver or gold. I mean, it wasn't purchased by, you know, money. But by precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, namely Christ. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for your sake. I mean, does that sum it up, who this person Jesus is? The God-man? How could Jesus be without sin? Every person born in the ordinary way inherited Adam's sin, That's why Paul says, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 5, verse 12? Paul says, so then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned. We're all born into this sin. And this sin is what separates us from God. Every man born in the ordinary way is sinful or a sinner, and sinners can't take away the sins of sinners, something different about the God-man because he is God. He's God. That's just the next point. Jesus wasn't born in the ordinary way. He's not born of two humans. He's the God-man because God ordained that the way the word would become flesh would be through a virgin birth. Now, we just walked through this and celebrated this at Christmas, right? The other gospel writer, Luke, who gives us lots of detail. In Luke chapter 1, can we just go back and and read that a little bit? We focus on Luke chapter 2, but in chapter 1, listen to this. Starting in verse 30, it says, So the angel said to her, this is Mary, right? Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Listen, You'll become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary said to the angel, how how will this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God, the God-man. Jesus was holy. He's without sin. No original sin, no active sin in his own behavior. Jesus asks in John chapter 8, we'll get there eventually, which one of you convicts me of sin? And and his answer is no one has ever been able to convict Jesus of sin. He commits no sin. There's no deceit found in his mouth. Peter, the Hebrew author, Paul and Romans all explain this. John 1, John chapter 1, verse 1 and and verse 14. When you connect these together, look what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God, and the Word became flesh. Everything about Jesus in this gospel shows how he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's, it's, it's amazing, and it's so foundational, it's so key, and it's so profound, it's so important as, as, uh, to our existence as uh, the, the church and as believers in Jesus that we testify to this, that it's a part of our story. That's what it has to do with you and I. Let me, let me lay this out. Don't move, right? Don't move. Watch this. Sometimes when I get here, people are like, oh, it's the end. I get it. Sit still. Because this is the most important part. What does this have to do with you and me? All right, Ben. You, 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 you explained it and you drew it out of there. So when John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it means two things. For the Jews in particular, and both of them are relevant for us. It meant that, number one, the God-man would die. This is really important. The God-man would die. And not just die, but die like a lamb dies to be slaughtered. Revelation 5, 9, 12, verse 6, Revelation 13, 8. It's really important that slaughtered, that dynamic and dramatic language. That's huge. I won't go back through that. But number two, what does this have to do with me? The whole world would benefit from this, and not just Jews. The God-man was the Jewish Messiah, but his death would take away the sin of the world, not just the sin of Israel. Everyone. Everyone. He's called the Lamb of God because he would die. That's why God sent him, and that's why he came. That's why the Word became flesh. Otherwise, he couldn't die. He was God's lamb for the world, not just for the the Jewish lamb for Israel. Okay, those two truths, death and bearing the sin of the world, they're summed up together when the high priest Caiaphas spoke prophetically like this. Look how he speaks. John 11, 50, watch this. Just starting in verse 50, John chapter 11. You do not realize that it's more to your advantage to have one man die for the people than the whole nation to perish. Now, he did not say this on his own, but because he was the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the Jewish nation and not for the Jews, uh, Jewish nation only, but to gather together into one, the children of God who are scattered. 
He'll die for the Jews, but not just for the Jews, but for people scattered all over the world. John puts it like this in his first letter. 1 John 1, or 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he says, and he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Everyone in the whole world, all right? Now, atoning sacrifice, or some translations say propitiation, means that his death removes the wrath of God because it takes away sin. See, our sin separates us from God. God is just. He's merciful. He's holy. He's all of these things, but he is just. And sin can't be in his presence. The lamb takes away the sin and removes God's wrath so that we can be in the presence of God, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles scattered everywhere all over the world. And so we see this wrath removal in John 3, 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. The one who rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. Now, do you know people that need to understand who the Son is and believe in the Son, the Lamb of God? Yeah, you and I all do. This means that when John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he doesn't mean that every person in the world is saved. He doesn't mean that. What does this have to do with you and I? Number three, every person in the world, Jew or Gentile, will be saved if they believe in Jesus and follow him. If they believe their sin has been taken away by the Lamb, if they believe God's wrath has been removed by the Lamb. There's no race, there's no nationality, there's no economic status included in that. To as many as receive him who believe in his name or on his name, John 1, 12, their sins are taken away. John 1, 29, John 3, 5, or 1 John 3, 5, and the wrath of God is removed. John 3, 36, 1 John 2, 2, and they're made the children of God, John 1, 12, and given eternal life, John 3, 16. Everyone in the room is sinful, and we deserve God's wrath, that's for certain. But there's only one way to have your sins taken away. It's not working for God, Not cleaning yourself up first, that comes later. That's fruit. The one way is believing in Jesus as the Lamb of God. Understanding Jesus is the Lamb of God is so important. John 8, 24, I'll put one last verse up. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's Jesus. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So, what's this have to do with you and I? Number four, believe in Jesus as your lamb and your Lord. Oh, I get excited about how 
John explains this, how excited he is, how he writes through this. I get excited about John the Baptist's testimony and how he clearly, radically testifies to such amazing things. Who do you know that needs to know this? I'm praying that through the rest of this year, that we would pay attention and listen to John the Baptist's testimony. That we would listen to these three testimonies because it's his purpose here, his ministry, to make sure that Jesus is seen as utterly amazing. That Jesus is Yahweh. That Jesus is matchless. And that Jesus is greater. Father in heaven, um, go before us as we go back out now across this bridge and we engage in the world that we live in, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our jobs and businesses and places we work and the schools that we attend and the teams and the sports and the entertainment that we engage with and the families that we interact with each and every day. I'm praying, God, that we would make a way into their life and testify about the God-man. I'm praying, God, that you would utilize our stories and help us to engage as we explain Jesus that he came into the world to take away sin. perfect sacrificial lamb. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.